0: Welcome to How Do You Write. I'm your host, Rachel Herron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short, so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 301 of How Do You Write. I'm Rachel Herron. So thrilled that you're here with me today as I am talking to Isabel Kenyas and I got to tell you, this was such a fun interview and so lively and sweet and fun and funny, and I adored talking to her about the magic of keeping a reading journal, which is just, yeah, it's part of our jobs, uh, and I should have been doing it before now, so that is very cool. That is coming up. Around here, what has been happening is annoying, and uh, I've just been in and out of migraine for better part of a week now. I think I have narrowed it down, hopefully, to um, oat milk that I had recently fallen in love with. It is the greatest. It tastes like milk. Uh, I react badly to milk. Apparently, I react badly to oat milk because of its phytoestrogenic compounds. I have a strange and complicated disease uh, called hereditary angioedema type three, which does not play well with that. So um, it had not crossed my mind that oat milk could be a bad thing. I am bummed, but I'm also hoping that's what it is because that might allow me to feel more comfortable in my body again and get out of this uh, migraine, which I'm only a few hours out of right now. So basically this is uh, not going to be a big intro because I just don't have the brain cells for it. And I am going to say one thing clearly for myself and for you that there are just times we can't do our best work. (laughs) I have been trying all morning now to do uh, some first drafting work on this book. And yes, I have gotten probably a thousand words done, which is quite a few fewer than I wanted. And yesterday I didn't, I think I maybe got 20 words Done. I stubbornly stayed at the desk for a while. And, and then Rachel says, Right was going to start. And I did this very sensible thing. I knew the migraine was coming. It was official by then. And I reached out to Ed, my assistant, and said, Are you available to run? Rachel says, Right. And if he had said no, if he had not been able to, I could have done what I've done in the past for migraines, which is I just opened the room and put a note up on the screen and welcome everybody. And people write for those two hours. They, you, don't, you don't need me there to write. But I just feel proud of myself that uh, I'm giving myself a little bit of grace. I am remembering also that when I wrote out this plan for this first draft, which I'm trying to tumble through, and I really am having a good time with it most of the time, uh, I added three buffer days at the end. Those are my migraine days. And so I get to use, yesterday I just used one. There we go. Don't need that extra day because I've got it built in. I haven't gotten all my words done today. I could use one of those buffer days. I could also write on a day off and give myself another buffer day or, heaven forfend, I can move the goal, goal post. I'm not wanting to move the goal post at this point, um, but that is my right as a creative person. And a gift that I give myself as a creative person who you know, pays the bills with the creative work that she does is allowing myself to be kind to myself and giving myself the same kind of self com- the same kind of compassion self-compassion that I would give in terms of compassion to another person and I'm really bad at it and I'm always trying to work uh, to be better at it so today I've got a few things that I need to finish up and then I'm going to go rest some more because it's early afternoon my brain is, 100% mush. And um, what it is good for is thanking new patrons because I have not thanked any new patrons in a while. So I have a nice little list here. Thank you so much y'all for becoming a patron. It means the world to me. It, it I can't even tell you how helpful it is in my life. It is truly helpful. I just got paid today as I record this and that money heading the bank make such a difference in my life. So thank you to new patrons, Julie Louison. I'm sure I said that wrong, but it's beautiful. Uh, Let's see. Sharon Rayfield. Hello. Thank you. Sandy Shelton. Thank you. C. Thank you. Casey. Thank you. Uh, Let's see. Uh, RL. Oh, no. RL had already upped her pledge to the mini coaching level, but hello, RL. Uh, Ellie... Uh, moved her pledge up to $5 a month, which means that I get to be her mini coach. And I um, talked to her question last week. Ellie, send me some more. Anybody who is on that mini coaching level, please send me some more questions. I would love that. Uh, Josie Smith. Hello, Josie. I'm so proud of all the work you've been doing and have done. Uh, Catherine Downey. Welcome. Welcome. Jesse C. Welcome. Angel Ackerman. Welcome. Jamie Miles and Lamar Dixon, welcome, welcome. And thank you all so very much. That's it. That's my brain. It's going to stop working now. Soon as I read you Isabel's bio, here is who we are going to be talking to right now. Isabel Kenyas is a Mexican-American speculative fiction writer. Having After having lived in Mexico, Scotland, Egypt, and Turkey, among other places, she has settled for now in New York City, where she works on her PhD dissertation in medieval Islamic literature and writes fiction inspired by her research and her heritage. The Hacienda, her debut novel, is billed as Um, as Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca, set in Mexico after its war of independence, featuring a haunted house behaving very very badly, a hot priest, and witches where you least expect them. Please, y'all, enjoy this interview with Isabel, and then come tell me how your writing's going, because you know I love to hear it. All right, take care, everybody. This episode is brought to you by my book, Fast Draft Your Memoir, Write your life story in 45 hours, which is, by the way, totally doable, and I tell you how. It's the same class I teach in the Continuing Studies program at Stanford each year, and I'll let you in on a secret. Even if you have no interest in writing a memoir yet, the book has everything I've ever learned about the process of writing and of revision and of story structure and of just doing this thing that's so hard and yet all we want to do. Pick it up today. I am so excited to welcome you to the show. Hello, Isabel. Will you please uh, tell us your name and your pronouns?
1: Hi, guys. My name is Isabel Canyas, and my pronouns are she, her.
0: Thank you so much. I have been so looking forward to talking to you. You reached out as a listener, which always really flatters me. um, But also, I don't even know if you know this, sideways, like I've been approached by two of your publicists, and in fact, I got very confused earlier this week because one of them um, I think she's like the, 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 the more senior one did not know we were already talking and she was trying to book you for next month. And I'm like, this just doesn't sound right. This doesn't sound right. I thought I had Isabella. So, My team is uh,
1: so on it. I'm your your team so blessed.
0: <laughs> doing it. I
1: love them. They're doing amazing work. As a debut, I know none of what's happening to me right now is normal. And I,
0: I love it. Oh, <laughs> we are going. To I feel so well off. taken care of. We're gonna yes. talk about this. And uh, can you please tell us what just happened earlier today for
1: you? My author copies just came in. If, you can, if you're if you watching on YouTube, you can see them right behind me. Um, author copies, for those who don't know, um, you authors get a set number of finished hardcovers before the book comes out. So two big boxes arrived at my uh, apartment and I had to bring them upstairs <laughs> up my walk up all by myself. <laughs> I had 20 copies and they are remarkably heavy, but they're beautiful, and, I mean, and I'm and the cover them. is
0: absolutely gorgeous. For people listening, um, there is a woman in a red dress in the field in front of this dark hacienda, which is basically a character in the book, and it is so brilliant. Did they hire out that art just for this book?
1: It looks um, entirely unique. The, so the photograph. I've actually spoken with um, the young woman who took the photograph of the woman in the red dress. So it was a combo of like stock imagery, a woman in a red dress, and then the uh, designer who works for Berkeley's on Wen, and she does a lot of Berkeley's covers and she's incredible. Like I could not be happier
0: with it is absolutely perfect it's it's not only gorgeous but if i walking through the the store i already know i'm looking at a gothic i know that i am just it's the sky i think if if,
1: if, yeah if for those who aren't watching the sky um is very ominous on the cover it's got like you know burnt umber and orange undertones like there's a storm approaching and it's just like
0: it just drips atmosphere, doesn't it? It does. But and I have we have we just jumped right into recording because I wanted to tell yeah. you this all in person, but um your story drips atmosphere. Your writing is beautiful. I loved Thank the you. book. It is um dark and spooky and everything I love, but it's it's never heavy-handed but it is absolutely essential and the first time that you meet the house you're like oh my god the first time you meet the hot priest oh my god like i'm blushing guys you had me, you had me at hot priest anyway so <laughs> yes selling point which whichy yes 100% there's some yeah. reader
1: feedback about him so he got snuck into some some cover copy a little late in the game
0: what a yeah. great, but what a great thing to sneak in there. That is the, when we're talking about universal fantasy and tropes that people want to see and latch onto. Forbidden right love
1: there. hits me every time. It's exactly. forbidden. Give it to me. <laughs> Say less, you know. Just let me
0: buy it. Yes. Okay. So tell us, uh, tell us first about how did that feel to hold this book for the first time? This is the first time today you've been holding your debut book.
1: I was in shock. So I actually, I got the arcs. I did was get lucky arcs? enough okay. to get print arcs. So because
0: for a while during the pandemic, they weren't doing print arcs at all no, because they weren't I shipping them. I wasn't so, get,
1: exactly. Yeah. So, um, they're slowly bringing them back, not for all titles. So I know I was really lucky to get print arcs and I'm really grateful for that because, I got them i think
0: maybe in october um and i did with my with my first book that was a bigger deal that felt like like getting the arcs felt like a bigger deal than getting the the finished copy what about you
1: it did because i i got the package in the mail and i didn't know that they were coming my editor um had sent me like a picture saying they're here like they're here in the office and i thought oh that's great not really putting like connecting the dots realizing like that you would get them then end up on my doorstep. (laughs) And so I just had this like nondescript package that I realized like literally as the tape was getting ripped off, had a little penguin on it. And then I, it like the books fell out of my hand, out of the package, onto the bed and they were just there. And I started like shaking (laughs) and I picked it up and I opened it and I realized every page in this book has words that were written by me. Like on every head. page of this book were words that came from my head on every page. And I just burst into tears, Yes, big, ugly cry, big, yes. ugly cry. And my husband was like completely unprepared because he was like, yes, unboxing video. I definitely want to catch this. But I was, just, it was too impromptu It was too. It was very, so it, it was very special and in, in the moment, but I did, I lost it. I lost it because, and I also had like, um, my mom and my husband were actually fighting over who this book was going to be dedicated to, because both of them have been enormously supportive of me, like hugely supportive of me. Uh, since with my mom since I was really young, and my husband, ever since we've been together, he's been so supportive of my writing. And so I didn't tell either of them that I had dedicated it to both of them. Both
0: of them. So my mom
1: was like, Oh, you dedicated it to him. I know you did. And my husband was like, Oh, well, of course it has to be your mother. You know, she raised you, but I will suffer. I will have to suffer as I wait for the next book. And then so I kept it a secret until I handed him the book. And then he opened the ark and saw the dedication. And it was really special. <laughs>
0: That's an amazing moment. I absolutely adore that. There is a ter- there's a there's a terrible video of me out there unboxing my arcs, and we knew what they were. And we got the champagne out, and my wife is videoing, and it's like super exciting and I pull them out. And then I had the exact same reaction. I'm holding the book up. And I open it, and I have that re- that realization that every word is mine inside this book, duplicated many times yeah. over. And, over, and over again. And I like told her, to let's do off. this. Like I, yeah, this? I, I started crying, and I told her to just no, I can't, I can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it's
0: so weird. It's such a weird feeling. Like, I don't know. It's
1: just not. It's just not the same as like printing out a manuscript and binding it for like you know yeah. line edits or. It's just not the same. It's so different. And seeing it in hard copy. something else. I really love that you have
0: the candle burning in front of it and that you're doing this at 10 o'clock at night in in New York. So
1: (laughs) peak atmosphere here. This is like (laughs) my jam. I did an event for Berkeley, um, back in February. And my setup, um, was basically me in the dark surrounded by a bajillion candles and I hopped onto the zoom and you know, everybody else is like having a normal zoom moment. Like they're in their office, they're in wherever bright lights. And I was like, sup guys, darkness has arrived. (laughs) Yeah, it was, I have a brand. We must
0: remain on brand. Exactly.
1: We must. (laughs) We must. And this book is gothic and spooky and has a lot of candles and candles going out when you least want them to. So...
0: And I am going to make sure that this comes, this episode comes out the week of your launch, which is May third, oh, I believe, thank you right? So, much. so yeah, May third. So a big day. This this podcast will come out a few days later. So everyone, when you hear this, you need to run right out and one-click the Hacienda or order it from your favorite independent retailer, or uh, just go down and see it on the shelf because Berkeley has a good distribution plan and it may just be there. She will
1: be all over Barnes and Noble. I can tell you that.
0: What is, what is your? Um, this is always so fun to talk about. What is your release day plan?
1: So I, my publicist and I are still working out um, any events that are going to happen that week because I might be doing something with my alma mater, the University of St. Andrews here in New York City. Um, But otherwise, um, my husband and I are going to do like a bookstore crawl where he's going to take the afternoon off and we're going to go from like indie to indie, like all of our favorite little shops here in New York City, walk in and like, you know, if the stock is there, walk up to, you know, Books are Wonder and be like. Hello, can I sign stock? (laughs) Which I'm absolutely terrified of doing. Like they're going to card me or something. I don't know why it is so
0: scary to do, but it is terrifying to do. And they all, I've never had anybody say, in fact, if somebody said no, I would be impressed. Be like, wow. Okay. I respect your boundaries.
1: Of course you see the horror stories on Twitter of people saying, oh, I got turned away or, oh, I got asked for ID and I use a pen name. So like, I mean, I will have to. People have really gotten asked for an ID. I've seen that on the internet. So, you know, legend has it, I would be mortified. I would sink into the ground and die because I'm already I'm shy. I'm like not, I don't speak to people like strangers in public, Mm -hmm. you know. I don't love, love it. So I would die. But we're gonna do that. And I hope we're (laughs) gonna end up. My plan is to end up at a there's a little bookstore in the East Village called Book Club, which is a cafe slash bookstore slash wine bar. So hopefully end up there, get a cup of tea that's the ambiance is great super cute I love it there
0: perfect Perfect. when when I did my first book crawl on the day it came out I had all these bookstores lined up that I wanted to go to and I had a bunch of friends come over It was like a party I think there were like eight of us and we went to the first bookstore I did not expect it to be at this little indie and it was there (gasps) and I lost my damn mind and then we crossed the street and stayed at the bar and closed it down like we never went amazing amazing yeah I'm definitely gonna be I I I do want to put something out there for anyone who does have it happen that somebody says no, you can't sign the stock. I absolutely know what my partner would do. She would go into the, she would make me wait in the car. She would go into the store. She would sneak all the books and she would sign each one of them, saying Rachel Heron was not allowed to sign this at this bookstore. Like she wouldn't tell me that's what she was doing, and I'd be a little bit mad about it, but that would be a collector's edition.
1: I love it. It would be. It would be. I love it. I love it. My husband's Canadian and really non-confrontational. Oh, he will not do
0: that. No. But he would be very mad about it afterwards. <laughs> I don't think it'll happen. Oh my God. That is so exciting. Congratulations yeah. to you. I am so thrilled so I'm really for excited. you. Okay. Let's pivot to talking about writing. Cause I want to know about your process. How, where, um, when, why, how, how do you get it done?
1: I get so nerdy about this. So I've really been looking oh, forward to this. Um, I <laughs> actually have been thinking a lot about this because I've been rediscovering and reforming my process to be very woo-woo about it. My practice. Um, oh yes, th- I love coming out of practice. like a deep valley of burnout. I just finished and turned in my PhD dissertation. <sighs> I will actually be defending it the day before my book comes out, which I did not plan, but bureaucracy and the universe decided we were not going to be subtle about closing one chapter of our life and opening the next. So,
0: so on Wednesday, you're just going to sleep all day. Hopefully
1: that is the plan. I'm going to be comatose. Like yeah. do not call me. Do not email me. Nothing. I will be dead to the world. Zero Horrible.
0: To oh, up. I'm so sorry. Oh,
1: thank you. That is the correct response. Some people say, Oh, you must be so excited. I'm like,
0: No, that's devastation. That's that's rubble lying in the way. I will say,
1: literally, uh, I will say the good thing about it is that I'm too. Whenever I start to get too anxious about one of these two events, the other one is like, "Hey, I'm here," and so it kind of like balances the scales.
0: (laughs) In terms of psychic horror, yeah,
1: yeah. So (laughs) today I was like, I got all these copies. This is coming, becoming really, really real. But I also have a workshop tomorrow where I'm like practicing my defense presentation to two women that I work really closely with and so I have to be anxious about that one because I have to do that tomorrow so I can't be anxious about book release it's great so anyway I've been super burnt out um but in the happiest and the best times and I was trying to get back to it last week until like I completely ran out of gas and was like whoa yeah. okay I need to rest a little more I like to wake up not super early um not super late either around like 758. Um, um, I have this terrible bad habit that started at the beginning of the pandemic when where my husband brings me coffee in bed, <laughs> so I drink my coffee in bed and I start free writing. I have I use I swear I swear I will evangelize yes this little piece of junk the, forever. Uh, um, Alpha I smart swear neo by, too. Yeah, the Alpha smart neo. Um, I got this in 2018 and it is worth its weight in gold for me. Mm-hmm. Like I spent 40 bucks maybe less on it, um, buying it on eBay. But with this, I just like me disappears and I just become the writing.
0: Mm. I
1: don't look at the Can you explain sometimes. for
0: people who don't know what the Neo is, what it is and where they can get it? Because so, there's a trick to it.
1: Yeah. So the Alpha Smart Neo is like this little piece of junk. It looks like a keyboard with a tiny little narrow old school, like late nineties, early aughts screen attached to it. And it has memory inside it. So when you type on the keyboard, which is a full-size keyboard, which I really need, um, it saves all everything that you've written. And then you attach this like cord and, to it. And then the other end of the cord goes into your computer and then you can export the material onto your computer. And it's just plain text, no formatting, no markdown, nothing, it's just words. And so the beauty of this is that you can't, it's difficult to go back and edit so you must move forward. Um, and I think there's this brand new device called, I think the free right. Um,
0: mm-hmm. Oh, you have one.
1: My husband got me one, but I never use it because I love the alpha smart so much that more. Is so good to know because
0: the free ride is like 500 bucks or something, 400 it's so bucks. Maybe.
1: expensive. My husband backed it on. We backed it on Kickstarter yeah. years yeah. ago. It was my birthday present. And we were like, you know, Oh, it was such an expense. It was so expensive, even uh, in the discounted Kickstarter days. And I just don't use it as often. That's I use so it good when for me to hear. Yeah. I use it when I travel, like when I'm literally on a plane and no other time. <laughs> and of course that isn't very often these days or <laughs> has it been. So I the use other, I, The other thing that's so yeah. great
0: about it is that neither of those devices are connected to the internet at all. They're yes. not your phone. Yes. They're not a Kindle. They're not, they're, they're nothing but a writing tool. And where can you get the Neo? So the Neo, you, I think eBay is the
1: best place. I think it's There's the only on Amazon, place now. But on oh, market. really? Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, I saw one for like $70 and I was like, Oh, that's yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> but there is a limited supply. So I actually have backups because I started recommending it to people. And I was like, oh my God, you know, they've stopped using this. I can't, I can't tell everyone. Getting, about
0: this. I thought about getting myself a backup too, but they always seem to be out there being refurbished and turned around. So yeah.
1: And they're magic little machines. Cause I, I just... I stop being me. There's like no barrier between me and what I'm writing. And so I, I love it. The key, the keyboard has just a, the right amount of springiness. It's just the right size. It's light. So when I have it in my lap, it's not like this big clunky thing. And I just, but it's, but it's clicky
0: too. It's got a really good click oh, to all the keys. It's got such a good click to it. I
1: love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Like if this house is burning down, I will grab my passport in this, you know, <laughs> it's it that's probably amazing. wouldn't survive. It would probably melt immediately. Like I love her. She's the best.
0: Yeah. Oh, so she probably, she probably make it through the fire. Honestly, those things, yeah. they they've literally been dropped out of airplanes and survived. They,
1: are you serious? So yeah. they, they run on four A batteries and that's it. I have to replace the batteries and I use this sucker daily and I have only had to replace the batteries like once every four to six months. So it's pretty reliable, yep. pretty much. Yep. The only downside is that it's difficult to like stuff in your backpack, unless you have a good case for it, which I don't, because then like the keys get mashed in the backpack and yeah. weird error signs come up. Yeah. So it's an incredibly stupid, like dumb piece of equipment, not smart te- technology at all, but I love it. I love it. Yeah. Oh, that so I write so on that. So,
0: of course that's yeah. for the first draft though. What do you do with your second draft? And, and I cry. Further? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Yes, good answer.
1: <laughs> I suffer, but we can talk about that later. Um, I put everything into Scrivener. I've been using Scrivener since 2013. I, like many other novelists, swear by this uh, thing. I probably use about 10 percent of its yeah, wild and wacky, jungle of features, but it works because I think what's remarkable about it is that I can like look at everything. Th- from above, like with a bird's eye view, you can shift chapters around if need be, which some I really have to do with the book I'm working on now. And I can keep like bajillions of little files within files within files of notes. Because when I'm starting to draft a book, I, I just keep like oodles and oodles of extremely, extremely disorganized notes that I then have to like yeah. search and find the thing. Like, when did I write that down? I know it was sometime last month, it will be somewhere in this note dump. Let me search for it. And it will be there because I just deposit everything into a big Scrivener file.
0: So where are you in terms of drafting the next book? Are you, mm-hmm. are you in revision for that now?
1: I'm in revision for it now. I'm in, I'm in pre-revision denial. I drafted <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's book two on contract. Thing. You know, I was, you know, when I signed my two book contract, I was I knew that book two uh, from my friends who were like ahead of me in the publishing process, that book two was going to be a beast. Book two was going to be difficult. And that didn't, I, I like recognized that intellectually and it did not sink in until I had to actually do it. Now, granted, I wrote the first draft in the middle of drafting my dissertation, my PhD Ugh. dissertation. So it wasn't like the best timing. Um, but it's been really different. It's been really difficult. I think, especially because the Hacienda was like the perfect child, like the lightning bolt of like the Greek genius literally mm. seized my hands. and was typing for me. Um, it felt like for parts of this book, like I, I am a superstitious person, but I'm never superstitious about my process. Like I'm very like aware of like what time of day I write well, how many words can I write in 40 minutes? I do sprints. I keep spreadsheets. Like I know things like I'm very meticulous type A about this sort of thing, which is why I'm so excited to talk about process. <laughs> I'm like, yes, this is literally my favorite thing to talk about. Um, but, uh, book two has been a very defiant child. I think the story just, it has like three main elements like the hacienda. Um, it's set in 19th century Mexico, um, which in this case is South Texas, which is where my family's from. Um, it has, a a thread that's paranormal, horror-y, and it has a romance. And so I'm trying to braid those three things together, the history, the spookies, and the romance. And those blended effortlessly when I was writing The Hacienda. And this one, it's just so naughty. So I have a full draft. I finished it um, near the end of NaNoWriMo, early December, and I put it away I could not look at it. I sent it to my editor and she had notes back to me in like early January. And I looked at like email in my inbox and I wanted to throw up because I you was like, sent I am a, not You sent ready.
0: a really early draft to her. I did. That's very I usually brave. Do. It
1: was, but I was like, I can't have this in my life anymore because I have to draft the last two chapters of my dissertation. Like
0: yeah.
1: get behind me, Satan. Like I need this out of my system. So I, my editor, so my drafts like, my drafts are my first drafts are usually quite clean because I do this um incredibly type a plotting and oh, zero do drafting okay. situation
0: oh yes <laughs> okay tell me tell me about that we want I want to hear about that what is yeah. that look like? so
1: basically um when I start writing a novel um and it's grown past its infancy um it usually has ideas for me usually have to gestate for like 1 to 2 years except the Hacienda, which is the outlier in all regards. We hate her. She's annoying. <laughs> um, but she breaks all the rules. Um, they usually have to gestate for one to two years. And I, during that time, I collect all sorts of notes and ideas. Um, and I jot down any, the story slowly starts to take shape in my head. I swear by the Jessica Brody's Save the Cat Writes a Novel oh, and Lisa Cron's Story Genius. Those yep. two together for one. me are like my dream team that's what I use to, to put the scaffolding together. Um, so I have like a, usually a very intense, um, beat sheet. I have a spreadsheet where I like mark out, like these are, this is how the story is going to go. And from that beat sheet, I write out a zero draft where I basically just kind of word vomit in first person, uh, not first person, um, third person, present tense, very messy prose, like for the Hacienda, Beatrice gets to the house. She gets out of the carriage. Uh, she feels funny looking at the house. She walks inside. Something spooky happens. Next chapter. But And I go all the way to the end. And so that for me is usually like 10,000 words. And then I start, quote unquote, air quotes, the first draft. That's great after I though. That. I
0: really love that process of shaping because you're really looking at the shape of the book by Absolutely. doing that.
1: It's like, it's like a sculptor. Like I need to hack yeah. out piece of marble and I have to like hack it into shape and then I can go kind of go in with a finer I don't know what sculptors do. I can go in with like <laughs> finer
0: tools. I can't remember but, where I where or who I heard say this, but it's always it's always in my mind and I've quoted it a few times so I should look it up. But but somebody said you should talk about your book. Um, to yourself the same way like two 12 year old boys talk about the movie when they're exiting the cinema. And then he got up on the scaffolding and then he jumped off and remember when he booked up, like, and that's what you're doing in that zero drop. Exactly.
1: This is exactly what I'm doing. And I think the reason I do that is because I come from like a big family of storytellers. And so yeah. when I have like a story, I will sit down and I'll tell my little sister or I would tell my older sister and my yeah. little brother, when he has a story, idea deal, he'll sit down and he'll tell me the whole thing. It's like, and then this spaceship goes here and then this happens and then this happens. And so basically I just tell myself the story all the way through the beats that I've already meticulously mapped out sometimes out of order. I just tell myself the story. And then from that, with that material, I then ha- start to do my first draft. And so I sit down with my Alpha Smart Neo. I have the zero draft on my iPad screen in front of me with oh, the smart. wifi turned off. Mm-hmm. And then I just go and I do writing sprints and I usually do, um, 4,000 words a day. Boom, 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 boom. till we go to the end. That's the best case scenario. So that's so- how the book gets written. <laughs>
0: So the, then that makes sense. Then you could send that to your editor talk because we've yeah. been talking about revision quite a bit on the show re- recently. What was that? You said that it was the river of blood. What, what
1: was it? I really struggle with the part of revision where you're done with the first draft. For me, my first drafts are pretty clean. Um, I'm confident in my voice. Um, I've usually done a lot of plotting work before. I have always done a lot of plot plotting work beforehand. So it's tight, it's good, but of course it must be better. Yeah. And so in order to get there, there's this moment that is like, everything must be broken. Everything yeah. gets taken apart. You have to tear the and it has off. to. You do, it yeah. has to get so ugly before it gets better. And that part for me is where I am again <laughs> with my book too, and I find it so difficult. I find it so difficult. I think it really, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is, but it's really, really hard. Once it's I get hard. over that hump, yeah. once I get over that hump um, with successive revisions or rounds of revision, it gets easier and easier. Um, because like then you're my, narrowing
0: down and you're looking at really, really language and, and crafting and that's the yeah, fun stuff. Or like,
1: this chapter needs to get moved further back or maybe we need another chapter from Padre Andres's point of view early on. And that sort of thing of like, I can look at the whole piece and see the tiny little gaps. And like, it's like looking at a tapestry and it's like, oh, there's a little hole I have to stitch up and there's a little hole I have to stitch yeah. up. But first you have to like sink your claws into to the tapestry and just shred it apart and then like re it back together. And I hate it. I hate it. <laughs> I've maximized my process to avoid this. I think it was Lee Bardugo once said, stop trying to arts- outsmart the first draft. I have never met anybody who could. Good. And I'm like, bitch, you have oh, not met me. I try my damn hardest. I will do it someday. Someday it will. Work. I will. I swear, one day I will do it. I swear. Uh, but has I have?
0: Stop trying so, to outsmart your first draft. Yeah, that is really good. I love listening really, to her talk about really, writing.
1: She's yeah. so good. oh Queen Bridgette. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so when yeah, you pray, no, okay. when you are in the spreadsheet. Um, area. Are you, uh, yeah. let's, let's go like, let's go like Tim Ferriss nitty gritty. Are we, are we Excel spreadsheet or are we Google sheet? Where, where what are you doing?
1: Um, usually Google sheets. Uh, my husband works at Google, so I'm like contractually obligated. To, like... <laughs> no, it's backed up to the cloud and I've lost yeah, too many, yeah. uh, a device to, to trust anything else. So usually Google sheets um, for the Hacienda, I had a Google sheet and then I copy pasted it and stuck it in Scrivener so I could have it right there. It gets Smart. a little wonky with the formatting, but if the major pieces are there, tables in Scrivener,
0: they don't. Yeah, they're not the best. Well.
1: They don't play yeah. well together, but it's simple. It's, it, if you do it first in uh, Google Sheets or Excel and then transfer it over, it's okay. So usually, I like having it right there, and I do split screen in Scrivener, split vertically, so I can have the you know notes on one side, beat sheet on the other. So yeah.
0: Oh fabulous. I love all of this. Okay. So what is your uh, what, what is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? And would it be the revision?
1: I think usually the revision or the burnout. Um the burnout <laughs> Two big, big
0: things. Yeah. The what really, may things. I ask what your um, dissertation is in?
1: Uh, so my um my PhD is in Near Eastern languages and civilizations oh, that's with right a right concentration in right. yeah. Ottoman and Turkish studies. So my PhD dissertation is on a 14th century old Anatolian Turkish epic. If any of these words mean anything to you or your listeners, chapeau, because <laughs> it's extremely niche. <laughs> yeah. So basically, so, 14th century, like King Arthur in Turkish.
0: So the only, the only resting, the only, the only common ground you have that between that and your writing is that they are both historical. But other than that, they're absolutely different type, places in the world, different time periods. Yeah, 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 exactly.
1: Like it kept a good, you know, differentiation between church and state. So once I shifted, (laughs) I would usually like draft either my dissertation or my uh, books in like blocks. Um, My university is on the quarter system. So I kind of operate on the quarter system. So like summer quarter, I always knew was for writing. So I Mm. taught myself to write as fast as I possibly could while keeping my drafts clean Um, So I could get my writing done in the summer, because then in the fall, like, start to teach, start to take classes, work's got to get done. So they're really different. So that's good. Um, I really, I hope one day to turn uh, some of my research into novels, but uh, in the immediate future, um, the whole historical Mexican capital G Gothic stick is the pony I'm writing. And I could it's, not be happier. It's so good. It's one of my favorite ponies.
0: All right. So what is your biggest joy when it comes to writing?
1: I love the part where you forget that you're you, because I think when I was younger and in my early twenties, um, I had enormous amounts of anxiety about where my life was going to end up and the paths I could take and I had lived in a bunch of different countries. I'd studied a bunch of different languages. I'd gone to universities all over the world, um, mostly in the UK and the Middle East. And so I felt I knew that one decision could shift a lot of things Mm. and the trajectory of my life going forward for many years. And it made me scared thinking, what if I choose to be the wrong person? And I think with fiction, I can be anyone I want. (laughs) I can live the lives that you know, maybe I look behind me and I close mm-hmm. doors in order to get to where I am now. But when I'm writing, all of that falls away and I can be, I become whoever I'm writing. And it's really liberating when, you know, the fourth wall is firm and unbroken with you in the writing and you're just completely suspended in it. It's,
0: I it's love so it. Good. It's so good. I and live for it's such it. a, I, I live for it too. And it is such a, de- it's such a delicious gift that we get to have that I feel sorry for people who don't have it, who don't get to live all the lives that we get to live. And recently I've been revising this memoir for a while and I'm just so sick of myself and I can't wait, you know, cause now I'm like revising my own thoughts about myself and there's just nothing more boring when I'm this far into the revision. And I just want to get back into the novel where I can be someone else in a different place. It's just,
1: it's, it's so freeing. Mm -hmm. It's so freeing. That's the only like word that I can think of to describe it.
0: What a beautiful way to put that. Can you share a craft tip of any sort with us?
1: Um, So I was thinking about this and I was thinking very carefully because a lot of your guests have given fantastic advice on this show. So I don't want to, you know, repeat. I want something fresh and new. Um, Nothing is new under the sun. No, I decided nothing is ever new under the sun. Something I've been doing lately I um is keeping a journal intentionally about the books I'm reading. Like journaling intentionally. More. Like yes, where so where I, and how I love to jump when I come up, usually when I read a book like and I start to read like several books in a certain genre, I will get ideas for books in that genre, much to my agent's chagrin, because I'm like guess what, guess what, guess what, I want to write a really fluffy YA romance set at my old university, and she's like, uh, <laughs> oh no, oh no, you, comma, the goth Mexican queen, comma, <laughs> yes, how are we going to spend this, yeah, the poor woman, I make her work really hard, but I love her, I love her, she's amazing, I adore her, um, so what I do when I'm trying to, when I, I have a YA project that we're preparing to go out on proposal with, um, but having written, a Lot of adult novels recently, I have had to reimmerse myself in YA, to reaccustom myself to the voice, to the vibes, mm-hmm. um, to the pacing, to everything that makes YA YA. Um, and so what I do is I study it. <laughs> this is me bringing my like type A PhD student brain to it, but I would read, I will read a bunch of books in a genre, I will just binge them. And then every morning I won't write about them as I'm reading them. I'll wait until I'm done with the book, put it away and go to sleep. And the next morning when I'm free writing in the morning on my alpha smart, all the thoughts about like, oh, well, this could have been tighter. And oh, how did she do that? And all of these things, I just kind of brain dump about it. And my hope in doing that is that the lessons that I'm taking away or the critiques that I have will, because I'm art- I'm articulating them, will stick in my my noggin as I start yeah. to write my own. Project. So, keeping a, a reading journal is something that I never thought about doing when I was a younger writer, but jumping between genres and age categories, I think it's been really helpful.
0: I don't think I've ever even considered keeping a reading journal, to be honest with you. And now so for like, the next like, thing oh, that I want to do. That's what we do. That's yeah, how I like... study. I've always studied by reading and then putting words down on paper and making the connections in my brain. And I have a writing journal. You know, I always journal whatever I'm writing about to make those connections.
1: Constantly. I bitch about my process in my journal all the time. It's literally all there's that's there, (laughs) you know? (laughs) If someone were to pick up my journal and start to read it, it'd be all about like why my word sprints weren't as good today versus yesterday. Exactly.
0: But why wouldn't I do that for reading? That is absolutely brilliant. (gasps) Thank you. Really good one, Isabel. And no one has ever used that on this show. So yes well done
1: (laughs) very pleased yeah it's been really helpful and it's it's good because it saves my husband um it it keeps him from suffering you know whereas otherwise, I would like you know pace around the kitchen while he's cooking being like and then this didn't work and then this didn't work and she really missed
0: this opportunity I love it when I do those things and then I go oh wait but it did work because now I'm thinking about that oh is the right to do that on purpose exactly 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 you know
1: and I think it's also um I think it's healthy because um, now becoming an author, author as public human, I have to be a lot more um, careful about what I say, um, not just in public, like on Twitter. I think we've all learned that Twitter is obviously a very, um, <sighs> it's a fire hazard. <laughs> like yeah. that shit yeah. can go up in flames <laughs> yeah. at any moment, like one twist of the wind and we're gone. Um, yeah. But also in, spaces that feel more private, like discords or slacks. Like you really Mm -hmm. have to be more of a professional instead of being just one other kid in the community of writers where you're trying to, you know, get your foot in the door. Suddenly foot's in the door, body's in the door. Now I'm looking back out the door as a professional. So I think, um, bitching about my reading in my journal is a lot healthier, (laughs) probably better for the long run.
0: Yeah. I have a policy that I only rate books five stars. And if I, if they, if they are less than four stars, normally I don't, they're less than five stars. Normally I don't finish them, but every once in a while I'll finish like what I considered to be a four star. And I just put red on Goodreads. Yep. No stars whatsoever. No, I, that is professional courtesy because it's a very small pond.
1: It's a very small pond. I've stopped using Goodreads. I don't, I just don't go on it anymore.
0: Well, it's Amazon. So that's, that's good. Good for you. It's,
1: it's, it's, it was hard. I mean, I loved, I I'm very motivated by like
0: me too, um, by, by the like reading the, progress. The reading goal, oh
1: yeah. my God, I loved it. It's like, you are one book behind schedule and I'm like, damn it, I will beat this. <laughs> and so am like, my reading goal is 52 books a year. Um, I try, lately I've been trying to read more than that. Um, I'd say the vast bulk of that has been romance lately because my brain cannot take anything else.
0: And there's um, some really great romance out there right now oh too. Oh
1: God, yeah. yes, so good. Embarrassment of riches, I'm extremely <laughs> happy.
0: Fabulous. I love that tip. What thing, if you don't mind me asking in your life affects your writing in a surprising way?
1: It pains me to say this, but <laughs> my PhD dissertation, I thought, you know, this is academic writing. People say to me, oh, well, these two things must have so much in common because they're both writing. And I'm like,
0: no, they're so different.
1: They are, they're profoundly different. Um, I was just
0: looking at some academic writing for reasons that we don't even need to go into right now. Yesterday, I was like, how do they write that? It makes like your eyes that? cross. It yeah. hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It's like- But every learning... sentence, it does hurt, but every sentence has like four levels of meaning and like yeah. things that I need to unpack and that's what it's doing, but, but ow. It ow. hurts.
1: It hurts. And so writing and revising the PhD dissertation has taught me to sit with discomfort
0: mm-hmm. in a way
1: that I don't think- Anything else in my professional life has because I write fast. I'm very much a rip off the band aid kind of person. Mm -hmm. Like, ooh, drafting hurts, I'm going to do it as fast as I can. Ooh, revising hurts, I'm going to do it as fast as I can. And that just doesn't work with academic writing. You can't do that. There's some ideas that just take longer to gestate. And it's only in revision, it's only after the fourth revision or the fourth fourth restructuring or the fifth restructuring of your second dissertation chapter, ask me how I know, that the ideas really start to gel together. Yeah. So that terrible like sundering, like the great break that I hate in in, in revising novels, I had to do that five times with one of of my dissertation chapters, five times. And so I think it's really taught me, um, I'm optimistic that when I probably next week when I really dig my, sink my teeth into a uh, book two, um, which is funny because it does have vampires. <laughs> um, does. I, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say, but there we go. A little sneak peek. Um, I think those lessons will really, I am, I hope that l- having learned to sit with discomfort in my dissertation writing process will carry over to the novel writing process because it's just being uncomfortable. That's not very scary when you think about it,
0: but we fight so hard. We will do anything to, to not do it. And I think it's the biggest, most important thing for a writer to learn is to be able to sit with a discomfort day after day of sitting down and not wanting to do it or thinking you're doing it badly or dealing with whatever uncomfortable emotion is there and just yeah. doing the workout anyway. You don't die, nothing bad happens. And generally you feel better when you stand up.
1: Yeah. And it's the worst thing. Like, cause there's no there's no like work smarter, not harder way to go about it. Yeah. There's only doing it.
0: Yeah, just showing up and doing Sitting it.
1: Sitting with exactly and kind of just shutting off your inner brain weasels going berserk. Like today I had to write the draft of my presentation for my dissertation defense, the one where I stand in front of the committee of professors and the public and defend the piece of writing that I spent, you know, 15 months on that has already been shot full of holes by one of my committee members. Oh no. (laughs) So I'm defending this tattered piece of, you know, research. And it was so uncomfortable. Like I circled around it like a dog pacing the room. Like my family, we have, um, I grew up with herding dogs like Collies and Shelties. And these animals are brilliant and profoundly neurotic. And my family is very much the same. Like I come from a family of really smart, anxious women. And we have this phrase um, that we call chewing the furniture, where if you're bored in your life, you know, you, you haven't, you're not challenging yourself enough. You start chewing the furniture, you start pursuing relationships that are, you know, clearly slightly destructive. You start, you know, engaging in bad habits that are probably not good for you. You're chewing the furniture. So I spent all day like circling the room and chewing the furniture until I finally sat with my discomfort you know, move my chair into my favorite part of the house was like, this is my reward. I sit in the sun, hands on keyboard. Let's go. (laughs) It hurts. But then when it's
0: done, it's done. It's done. And the furniture and trying- is no longer, you're not, you're not chewing the furniture anymore. That's And yeah, no, no that's more splinters in your teeth from chewing yeah, the furniture. Exactly. You know, my, I, I had a, I had a darling border collie who died last year and I loved her so Aww. much. And, and, uh, and, so and I become a border collie when I'm, when I'm out and about with people, they call me the border collie because, you know, if I'm leading a retreat somewhere, I know where all 15 people are. And I know that Margaret's wandered that way. And I need to, are just- you an eldest can- child? Oh yes, you know I oh, am. Of course. All.
1: Yes, you're my older sister. You we call her Alpha Pup, you know. She's someone who knows where every where the exits, she's her back to the wall she knows where everybody is. Yep.
0: Exactly. And I will handle it. And if somebody says you can just sit down and not handle it, you know, I've got no you don't. No you don't. No. I'm-
1: no. <laughs> no, Alpha Pups are not wired that way. Like you are perfect the way you I, are. <laughs>
0: where where are you in the order?
1: I'm number 2. Ah. Uh, yeah, 2 yes. or 5 actually. So That's awesome. I think five is the perfect number. I'm obviously extremely biased, um, but I'm, I love my place in, in the birth order actually, because I have authority and gravitas as the second born, you know, I can pass yes. people around, but also I'm not the higher authority. You
0: don't have to be so the, I can pass the pass alpha book. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I pass the book. So it's great. I love it.
0: I'm reading Hannah Gadsby's new memoir that just came out called 10 Steps to Nanette. She's the comedian who did the Nanette show on Netflix, which was amazing. And, she, and she's a she's the fifth of five. And she's talking a lot about that in there. You might, you might enjoy it. I should it's read a, it. It's a brilliant book. Send it to my it's, brother. He's the baby. It's so good. It's so good. Okay. So let's go back to that uh, reading journal idea um, and tell us, please, about the best book that you have read recently and why did you love it?
1: Um, so I said I've been reading a ton of romance lately. Usually I read contemporary romance and I don't like historical romance. Recently last, was it this week, or this weekend, last week, I finished my first historical romance Ooh. and I fucking loved it. It's Ooh. called the siren of Sussex by Mimi no. Matthews. It came out. It's a Berkeley book. I believe it came out uh, recently. Her next book is out in October. So not too long ago. Um, it's amazing. It's about a young woman in Victoria in the 1860s. Um, who uh, is determined to make her entrance into London society being the best horsewoman there ever was, like the most beautiful horsewoman there ever was riding along rotten row, showing herself off. And she falls in love with her dressmaker, the, the man who makes her riding habits, who is half Indian. And so the thing I love about this book that as a, so as a historian, I've studied the Middle East for like the last 10, 15 years. And so when you do that, you, you study a lot of British empire. And it's pretty fucked up. (laughs) And so I sometimes really struggle getting into historical fiction, uh, historical romance specifically, because a lot of it is set in um, the vast majority of it, like 99% is set in England. And yeah, uh, from the colonizers,
0: the seat of power.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, but where does your money come from? These beautiful houses, these beautiful horses, all of these this gentry, all of these people, like, where does the money come from? It comes from India. It comes from Egypt. It comes from the Caribbean. Like it's, in I think the thing I love best about the Siren of Sussex, and this is making it like, I promise it is the chemistry leaps off the page. It is a closed door, uh, like sex yeah. scene situation, which uh, I was a bit sad when a friend spoiled that bit for me, because I was like, really? It's <laughs> like, I'm afraid that my Kindle is going to like spontaneously combust when their hands brush. It's like incredible writing, incredible chemistry, like so, so good. I loved it. I loved it. So don't get me wrong. It's not like a dry, like, you know, academia, like, oh, I'm going to give you this message about the empire. But I think it looks at, because one of its um, point of view um, narrators is uh, half Indian and he spent part of his childhood in India and part of his, in most of his life in London, he feels neither here nor there, like he doesn't belong in India. He doesn't truly belong in London. And I think he, through that point of view, Matthews presents a look at empire that is really unflinching and is critical, mm-hmm. but it's also very personalized and it ver- matters very much to the main character or the narrator. So it's brilliant, it's so good. And that sounds who's wonderful. Mexican, it's so good. And as someone who's Mexican-American who feels neither here nor there sometimes, I was like, oh, this is a dagger to the heart. <laughs> this is beautiful. So it's called the Siren of Sussex. And if you like horses, I'm a former horse girl. This woman knows her horses. Like chapter one, I was bought hook, line and sinker. Cause she's done, the author has done dressage
0: for like uh, so decades. She knows.
1: Oh, she knows, she knows. And she that writes about- wonderful. It's just like, so I think it, it's it really, the thing I love about romance is the focus it has on like emotionally intimate connections and how mm-hmm. it like unapologetically leans into that in a way that I don't know some other genres do but it, it's just special and I think yeah the siren of Sussex just knocked it out of the park for me Loved I can't it. wait to Love read it. that one
0: Courtney Milan does a, um, a really good job of that interstitial space too of 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 Really inhabiting that too, so you may want to check her out too. I am I also not should. that big into historical. I'm. I'm my mom loves the
1: historicals. My older sister loves the historicals. Yeah, and I'm like, it, it has to be. Match the itch for me. It has to it be,
0: be outstanding for me to get yeah, into, into it that.
1: To, there's something about like people like bless like I love. Um, I'm friendly with a lot of other uh, Berkeley uh, romance authors and Berkeley authors um, who are debuting um, this year and next year. We call ourselves the cute! (laughs) It's lovely. I love them. But a lot of them have like showered me with like, I've gotten into romance just like in the last six months. And so they've showered me with excellent recommendations, but it is really interesting to see like what sticks and what kind of bounces off. And like, Mm -hmm. it's such Mm -hmm. a large genre. You kind of have to burrow and find what really when something hits, like I'm ready to read Mimi Matthews' like entire back catalog, like one of these, like after my like the Wednesday after my book release, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go into your. That is what you should do. You
0: should go in yes. to stay in bed and read all day, and have your husband yes. bring you coffee after coffee, tea after. tea. Doctor
1: Heron said, "You know, bring me my tea. I'm here reading Mimi Matthews, and will not be disturbed."
0: Doesn't that sound like the best day ever? It does. It oh. does. I'm already oh, looking forward to it okay so now we get to the place where we turn to you please tell us about la hacienda so um
1: the hacienda is now is uh, it gonna,
0: i'm sorry to interrupt myself but and yeah. you but is it also going to be in spanish
1: it is but oh, it's perfect. not announced Good. yet so hopefully by the time we
0: never heard this
1: we never heard this there <laughs> are some foreign translation things on the horizon that will hopefully get announced soon there um i'm very very excited about it wait.
0: When- when I put you into Amazon earlier, um, I typed your name and then it auto-filled the hacienda, um, which means that other people have been searching for it, which is always a good sign. Cause usually on a debut, nothing will come up, but also what filled in was la hacienda. So I was like, oh, oh, somebody's looking for that too. Okay.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, which is great. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, but, uh, so the hacienda is the story of a young woman named Beatrice, um, And the book is set in 1823, uh, right after Mexico's War of Independence from Spain. Um, In the years right before the book opens, or in the months right before the book opens, there's been a a regime shift, a regime change from um, a Mexican empire, which was originally established right after the War of Independence to a republic. So there's been a big changeover. Beatriz's family has lost everything. Her father has been murdered and she has nothing. Um, She's at um, the mercy of relatives who really don't like her because her father was Mestizo or mixed race. And so uh, she has nowhere to turn until she meets a handsome young widower named Rodolfo who proposes and she ignores whispers of uh, Rodolfo's, uh, the sudden death of Rodolfo's first wife and any rumors that surround that. And she is whisked away to his um, estate in the countryside, Hacienda San Isidro. And he returns to his political work in the city. So she's left there alone with uh, her sister-in-law and servants. And she quickly discovers that this house is not a welcoming place. It is not a restful place. And it really doesn't like her. (laughs) <laughs> but no one seems to believe her when she insists that something is not right in this house or with this house. So because no one on the Hacienda will help her, she goes into town to seek the help of priests because all she thinks is like, okay, this house needs a tidy little exorcism that'll clean it up. And then we can go back to picking paint colors for the living room because genuinely <laughs> this this all place needs
0: gray and dim and dark. Yeah, exactly. So. I like
1: when I pitch it like tongue in cheek, I call it haunted home improvement. <laughs> with a side of hot
0: priest (laughs) that's hilarious and amazing and perfect
1: yeah so uh the priests come to check out the hacienda one of them is like you're crazy i'm like i'm a narc i will tattle on you to your husband this is absolutely not appropriate behavior but one of the priests she suspects might help her um this young man turns out to be padre andres villalobos um who is a mestizo priest priest who lives in town And he has a long history with the hacienda, and he has some dark secrets that he's been keeping that might have to come to the fore if he is to help Beatriz, uh, for whom he feels a very forbidden budding affection, and uh, help the people who live on the hacienda, many of whom are his relatives. So.
0: That's my wow. very long-winded elevator It was kit. perfect. It was perfect. Absolutely, completely irresistible. And I know that people Thank are you. going to be gobbling this up. And by the time this show comes out, you will have already received your first fan emails, I'm sure.
1: Wow, that's so exciting to, <laughs> to think about. That's so weird. Your face
0: was fun to watch for that.
1: <laughs> so This yeah. is all new to me. Like, as a debut, yeah. there's so many things that I just... That are brilliant surprises, like... I, I just like holding the book in my hand the arc in my hands for the yeah. first time. Did not know that would knock me off my feet. Receiving fan email for the first time? I get it. It's be amazing. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm so excited.
0: Isabel, it has been a 100% delight to talk to you. I am so thrilled that we got to connect. Um and we would have connected even if you hadn't reached out. So like I said, your team is on it. They're so.
1: on it. I am in such good hands. I love
0: them. I'm so grateful. Well, I am thrilled yeah. for you. I will Thank stay in so touch. Much. You are my friend now. So we will, we will, I, I want you to tell me everything as it goes. Absolutely. So. Thank you so much for having me on. I have listened to the show. It's been my ritual
1: for the last few years because it's just the right length. And I find it like so soothing on those days when the writing isn't working and you, especially Isabel. your um, recent episodes about revision. Like, you know, I'm facing, I'm looking down, like it's so hard. It's hard. It's hard. And I need to hear it. So please don't stop talking about it.
0: I will not thank you for being part of the conversation. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: This has been a delight. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of how do you write?